Any views and opinions expressed are those of the authors and or participants and do not necessarily reflect the views, policy, or position of the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network or HMP Global, its employees, and affiliates. Welcome to this podcast from the Rheumatology and Arthritis Learning Network. I'm your host, Rebecca Mashaw, and I'm delighted to be here today with Dr. Leonard Calabrese, who is a professor of medicine and director of the R.J. Fazenmeyer Center for Immunology at Cleveland Clinic. He's going to talk to us about a piece he and Dr. Philip Meese cooperated on, speaking about the need to revise the nosology of long COVID. So let's start with that. Sure. Would you define nosology for us? Uh, nosology is basically the classification and naming of diseases. Okay. Uh, this all came about uh, in the late fall, early winter, when Professor Xavier Marriott, one of the smartest guys that I know, wrote a piece uh, as a viewpoint in the Annals of the Rheumatic Disease, which was entitled Long COVID a new word for naming fibromyalgia, question mark. And uh, Xavier uh, raised a lot of good points in there. And uh, basically, I mean, this is now online and you can easily access it, open access. Said that, you know, when you really look at this issue of long COVID, we lack a crisp definition of it. And, you know, estimates by our own CDC say it, occurs either in 7% of people or 40% of people. And that's because we don't really have, you know, universally accepted classification criteria, let alone diagnostic criteria. And he pointed out that most patients with long COVID, and we're not talking about people who have been in the hospital that were in the intensive care unit that have pulmonary scarring or strokes or things. I mean, about people that generally had mild to moderate COVID and then after one, two, three months, say, I just don't feel right. And when you look at those people, they have a constellation of numerous symptoms dominated by fatigability, uh, neurocognitive complaints or brain fog, poor quality sleep, and often uh, accompanied by some type of pain, headache, viscerosomatic pain, etc. He said, you know, this has been a familiar phenotype to rheumatologists for a long time, and it looks very much like fibromyalgia. Uh, furthermore, he emphasizes in this literature that this picture is not specific to long COVID and that many patients who have this have been associated with psychologic stressors, though, and suggested that uh, much of this symptomatology was uh, you know, related to what he refers to, and many people kind of think about as psychosomatic illnesses that are more mm -hmm. in your brain than your body. So with that out there, and it's a very, it's a wonderful piece, and it's really thought out, and I'm summarizing it very crisply. I feel very strongly that it's not as simple as that. And we wrote uh, with Philip Meese, who's really knows so much about rheumatic diseases, including fibromyalgia, a rebuttal saying, indeed, uh, the phenotype that you describe does sound very much like fibromyalgia. Uh, but in the first place, there is so much more to long COVID than that. 
this is one large piece of the pie. There are other people, particularly at the extreme ends of the long COVID spectrum, and we don't know how many that represents. These are people that are highly debilitated that you read articles in the New York Times and the Atlantic about, and I see these patients from all over the world. It's, it's horrendous. And they look very much like ME-CFS, chronic fatigue syndrome, which there is a strong overlap with the fibromyalgia phenotype. But the difference to me are, are several fold. Number one, people that at the extreme end of long COVID, this is not fibromyalgia. They're stricken and often debilitated by dysautonomia. They have rich immunologic signatures. And while we still don't know the mechanism of action, there are distinctive elements of it that really separate it from what we recognize in our offices as fibromyalgia. Secondly, uh, I think that his emphasis on the neuropsychiatric aspects of fibromyalgia is kind of reductionist. This was kind of our old thinking that the pathophysiology was poorly understood and was thought to be psychological in nature. And in the past, you know, five years in particular, we've been bolstered by the, the pain community that now considers fibromyalgia under the umbrella of what uh, is currently referred to as nociplastic pain syndromes. That's pain that is uh, not nociceptive. It's not from you know injury of tissues. Um, it is not ne necessarily neuropathic. It is a final common pathway. And the mechanism is central sensitization of those pathways. And that there are biomarkers for that, microglial activation and other glial cell activation. Um, it's not just pain, and it is a CNS process that is independent from classical psychologic factors. Not that they're not complicit in this, but there's more to it than that. So that's where we started this discussion. And then I kind of finished this with Philip and, and said that, you know, there, long COVID is a work in progress. There are more questions than answers. We're closer to the beginning than the end of it. But I will say this unequivocally that, um, you know, I don't believe by and large in these psychosomatic paradigms of a, of a generation ago. When we say psychosomatic, uh, I say the brain and the immune system are one organ and that, you know, there are psychologic inputs to this. Uh, but the final common pathway is a central neurologic activation pathway that, you know, can't always be solved by counseling or just feeling better. It's, it's far more complicated than that. And saying that, that it's psychosomatic, is offensive to a lot of people who have it and patient organizations, because it's often equated with a uh, a state of, of weakness. You know, you're not psychologically fit to, enough to buffer yourself from the slings and arrows that the rest of us had when we had our COVID. You know, there's something psychologically wrong with you. I, I think that that's very, very reductionist. You know, finally, I said that, you know, while we're figuring this out, you know, we can do a lot of things. And, and probably the best is to listen to these people and reassure them that they're condition, their disorder, their their problems, they're they're real. They're not in their head and they're not their fault. 
and um, you know to create an empathic working relationship, which I think can be helpful to begin with. So that's the, that's the nutshell of it. This is really a, a a much bigger topic than this, and I'll say a couple things. Number one, at ULAR this year in Vienna in June, just like the ACR, every year there is a topic that is the great debate. It's a huge draw and it is, you know, like ours at the ACR. So this year, the great debate is, is long COVID a new word for naming fibromyalgia? And on one side of the podium is Professor Marriott, and I guess I'm on the other side of the podium. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And I'll close by saying it's we're here at the beginning of February. That's June. That's, you know, in, in COVID terms, that's like 100 years. So I have no idea what the data will be. And as I always like to say, I'll be interested to hear what I have to say about it at the time. Well, I think we all will be. One of the things that you mentioned in your uh, article in, um, I believe it was also in Annals of Rheumatic Diseases, was that there are you had some suggestions about topics for future research. What would those be? Well, there, there are so many things on this agenda. You know, first of all, something that we, we don't know robustly, you know, what percentage of patients meeting some of the current long COVID definitions, you know, CDC, NICE, international definitions, how many of them meet fibromyalgia diagnostic criteria? And how do these patients differ from patients who meet the Institute of Medicine criteria for MECFS? You know, are they overlapping? Are they the same? Are they different? And then one thing that we didn't have time to talk about on this interview here is the whole issue of post-exertional malaise. Um, this is a physiologic response that is characteristic of chronic fatigue syndrome, where patients are intolerant to a variety of stressors. It refers to a worsening of their symptoms or the appearance of new symptoms after physical or cognitive exertion. And it's often delayed 24, 40, 72 hours after they've experienced this. This is a phenomena that is widely talked about now in the long COVID world and the MECFS world. And I will tell you that the rheumatology world is devoid of any robust dialogue of this. And we don't know how our fibromyalgia patients stack up to this. We're currently um, uh, launching a study on that at the present time. Then finally, you know, what about all these biomarkers that abound in long COVID? Signs of viral persistence, immune activation, immunosenescence, reactivation of latent viruses, microbiomic changes, uh, CNS changes. Are they merely epiphenomena? Uh, are they the passengers on the bus? Or are they causing these symptoms? Are they drivers of the bus? So mm -hmm. lots to be done. Lots to be done. And as you mentioned, there's been a lot more history with fibromyalgia and probably even with MECFS than there has been with long COVID. So that's part of the picture, is it not? That we just need more data. You mentioned well, more data coming out between now and ULAR. Up until long COVID, anyone that said they were studying MECFS was considered, you know, on the periphery of biomedical science. Nobody wanted to hear about it. Uh, it was marginalized, very hard to do research in the area, very hard to get funded. And the this is like a 
a wake-up call for medicine and health in general. What is being described right now is within that spectrum. And I, I think a lot of people are being validated that they've been doing good quality work, but now they're, I, I think there's going to be a lot more resources uh, put forward for that. The study in one area could very likely have impacts on the other conditions as well and what we know about those. And Professor Marion is right that, that, you know, why isn't anyone talking about fibromyalgia in the long COVID world? And I think that actually, and I'll say this publicly, I think that the long COVID community actually pejoratizes the fibromyalgia community. They mm. say, oh, we don't have that. That's a psychosomatic illness. The very thing that they are riled up about when people say that long COVID is a psychosomatic illness. I, I, this is just not a useful dialogue, but you know, we've been studying fibromyalgia for decades. There's a lot of useful biology here that may help explain long COVID as well. So um, we need to start talking to each other better. Well, we will look forward to hearing about the uh, debate at ULAR and hopefully we'll be able to talk to you after that and see what uh, see what was discussed. Yeah, well, I'm, it's an interesting ride. It's like drinking from a fire hydrant. The data comes out so fast. It's not like that in the world of rheumatology. All right. Well, thank you very much for spending this time with us. Oh, my, my privilege. Thank you.